You are about to listen to the full interview with Scott Nelson. Sections of it were originally included in our Sierra Sounds episode. Scott Nelson is a retired cryptolinguist expert in the United States Navy. Scott believes he recognizes elements of some unknown language within the Sierra Sounds recordings, and now is working to transcribe the vocalizations he hears on the tapes. We hope you enjoy. And I'm a 20-year veteran of the US Navy as a uh, cryptolinguist in, uh, um, and, and interpreter of uh, Russian, Spanish, and Persian. And then when I got out of the Navy, I, I uh, started teaching, and that's what I did for 20 years, teaching the, the, those languages, as, as well as, you know, I mean, philosophy and religion, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You said a, a crypto-linguist. Um, yes. Could you kind of describe what that is and, and what those duties entail? Well, uh, the way I just describe it, my actual uh, title was uh, was uh, CTI, um, Cryptologic Technician Interpreter. And, uh, you know, what we were trained to do is to uh, listen into uh, communications. Mm. You know, whatever our target languages were. But also to be able to identify uh, languages that were not, you know, our target language. Right. And then to um, to collect it, we, uh, you know, you, you sit the cans, what we call sitting the cans, which means you're sitting there with the headphones on, you know, four hour stints, you know, eight hours a day, if not 12, and just collecting what you can. And then going back afterwards and uh, transcribing it, what all the you know everything you missed, right? So, I mean, I did that for twenty years. And so, you were listening to like radio. Would you be listening to like radio signals or what sort of transmissions were you listening for? The human voice on tape, now, collecting it on tape and then listening it uh, to it afterward. You know, to transcribe it all. How long have you personally? been interested in the topic of Sasquatch and what is it that originally drew you to this topic? Uh, you know, I, I grew up in uh, uh, Morgan, Utah, Ogden, Utah, up in the Rocky Mountains and and I had a lot of uh, friends when I was a kid mm-hmm. uh, that were Native American because yeah, I lived right next to the, the Intermountain Indian School, which is the biggest uh, Indian school, in, you know, in the West at the time. And so I'd heard, you know, I'd always heard, you know, all the, what to me were mythologies and, you know, scary stories that my friends would tell, but I never really associated it. And I I never really got interested in it until I heard, you know, uh, the very head tapes. I I was hearing something that was outside of my paradigm, if you will. Something that was... Uh, definitely speaking language, but it was not a human being. And I had no clue. How did you stumble across those tapes? Like, what, what, what introduced you to the recordings? I was just, uh, you know, I'm a teacher at a military academy, military college. My son, Stephen, had the day off from school, but we did not. So he came to school with me. And after school, we were sitting in my classroom, and he had a project to write a paper on something of his interest. So, um, like all 12-year-old boys, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Dad, well, uh, I want to do either on uh, Bigfoot 
the Loch Ness Monster or UFOs? <laughs> oh, yeah, I said, take your pick. So he says, okay. So he said Bigfoot. So we started Googling Bigfoot. And this was, uh, God, to me, Google was very new to me. So we were finding stuff. And he says, Dad, what do you think Bigfoot's sound like? I said, you know, I, I remember some B-grade movie from the 70s. Right now, let something I let out some like yeah, hoop or holler. Right? And he said, Dad, I don't think that's what Bigfoot sounds like. I said, okay, well, let's Google it. <laughs> so I Google, I literally Googled Bigfoot sounds, and that's when I came on uh, up on uh, Ron Moorhead and the uh, and and his tape recordings, him him and Albert's uh, tape recordings. Yeah, and maybe maybe for people who don't know what those are, maybe kind of give a description of of what those recordings are and what you hear on them. Of course. Okay, the, the Barrymore Head tapes were uh, recorded in 1972 and 1974. They captured stuff that that was never before or since, to my knowledge, ever captured. Well, we actually have uh, a, a two or three, at least, uh, Sasquatches, you know, c- communicating with each other. Or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't know what they were. I can't say I didn't see them. I can't say it was Sasquatches or freaking aliens or angels or demons, for that matter. You know, all I can say is whatever it was was not a human being, but it was communicating in a language. Okay, which, which took me out of my paradigm. So <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> so I guess you could say that that's how I got started. And then uh, it wasn't long before I got a hold of Ron some uh, detective work and went out to visit him and Al in California and uh, they uh, immediately had a connection with him. Seemingly, they knew the whole time that these creatures were trying to communicate in a language. But they had never found anybody that could corroborate that. Or, you know, and I showed up, I mean, I, I showed up kind of for dinner in uh, Mariposa, California, and there's there's uh, Ron and Al. I meet him for, for the first time, and they said, uh, "Man, we've been looking for a guy like you for 35 years." <laughs> and I was never looking for anything like this. <laughs> but so, so anyway, we hit it off right from the start, and that that's where our uh, uh, you know collaboration began. After your analysis of the tapes, um, what was your initial conclusion regarding what you were hearing the very first time you listened to them? Did you immediately think like, wow, this is this is unbelievable. This has got to be something I don't know. Or did you think eh, this could be could be language? I need to listen to it a few more times. Or was it crystal clear to you that first time? I walked out of there, you know, in my son that day at school and I walked out. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of in shock. And Stevie, my son Stevie's like, Dad, what's wrong with you? And I said, you know. Uh, so, but almost immediately, there were three things. And this is what I always, you know, <clears throat> present. But uh, there were three things that I, I concluded uh, almost immediately. And that was, I was hearing a language, number one. Uh, number two, 
it was not a human being. And, and number three, uh, it was not fake. I had, uh, you know, I'd, I'd spent a career in the Navy being trained on uh, deceptive commu uh, communication techniques by other countries, right? A in those days, you know, 1972, 1974, you know, <laughs> there's no way that anybody could have faked that. I was well aware, that the first time listening through that, I'm thinking, you know, it could just be fake. You know, I was well trained in, you know, the Russian deceptive techniques. And there's no way the Russians could have done that. Or anybody at that time. So, anyway, that was one of the three things. You know, it's a language, it's not a human being, and it's not fake. These tapes are not fake. So, you say that you you feel like you can recognize a language in it. Do you think it's ever possible, given the recordings that we have in hand to decipher what is being said in there or do we need more samples for that to be possible yes we need more samples that was ron's uh <laughs> that that was his constant mantra to me all you know the, the eight expeditions we took up on that mountain you know together he was always like sky just oh, can't you just tell me what they were trying to say to me because he knew they were trying to talk to him he said, just tell me what they were trying to say. I said, well, I can't do that. <laughs> now, all we can do, the, the best we can do is prove that uh, whatever the hell they were, they were using a language. Every bit as complex as our own. So I guess that's a, that's a good question for you then is how do you, when you hear this, these recordings, what is it specifically that makes you certain that it, that it is a language? and not just animalistic noises. There's so many things that uh, that we would call a char characteristic of language, okay? And virtually all of them are evident in the Barry Moorhead tapes. Okay, um, they have three main, really, elements of language. It's function, properties, and then elements of language, okay? I can list these off, thinking, Intimidation, persuasion, instruction, okay, uh, emotional expression, even ritual—all of those, all of those functions of language are evident in the uh, Barry Moorhead tapes. I mean, from that point, the properties of language—that that it's semantic, that it's learnable—we we, have—we have adults. What well, we are pretty sure are adult uh, beings speaking to a younger being using the same morphemes, exchanging morphemes, exchanging uh, uh, query inflection with, uh, you know, instructional inflection, you know. So all the other things, uh, you know, the, all the other properties of language, you have to assume they're, they're part of it because it's so uh, creative and, and arbitrary and open. These are all properties of language that are very clear. You mentioned that you actually you had a chance to go out to the camp with Ron Moorhead a few times. What was? Can you tell, can you tell me about that experience? And did you encounter anything while you were out there? I've been up there a total of about eight, eight times with him, and you know I'm one of the few outsiders ever invited up there. Me and my son Stephen, and then one year my daughter Amber went up with us. But uh, 
it, it's a, a, a unique place. Yes, we have some strange things happen. And then we, we've been up there for times when absolutely nothing happened. And you could tell. I mean, we'd go in and you could tell whether they, they were around or, or they were not. You could somehow feel it. And then, I mean, <laughs> you talk to Ron, right? You've asked Ron these questions about weird stuff ha- that happened up there. Yeah, I don't think we actually touched much on your your encounters, though. With oh, up in, my God. I, I focused more on his original encounters, so I'd love to hear anything while you oh, guys geez. were up there, if you have any. Did Ron tell you about the time I saved his life, the very first time we went up there? <laughs> no, he didn't. I would love to oh, hear about that. Oh, my God. You kidding me? <laughs> no, he Holy didn't. Shit. He didn't. No, we went up there. Well, my, my God, we, we prepared for this for months, and we went up there with the right horses, you know, we got halfway up, and something was impeding the horses. Ron tumbled down the mountain three times on the back of a horse. And thank God I had the best horse of the bunch. And he saved my life, I figured. I was I was above Ron. I looked, I saw Ron, Ron get bucked off this horse into some rocks. I thought he was dead. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. But uh, the point of this is that something was impeding the horses from continuing on. So anyway, our first attempt to go up to the camp for him to show me the camp ended up in me me having to get him down off the mountain along with the horses. Oh my god. It's <laughs> a good start. Oh yeah. <laughs> I believe I believe he mentions this. This is this is in his book, yeah. right? The the, the yeah it, yeah. I read. I remember reading about this. Yeah, I remember reading it. about this encounter. He didn't. It better he didn't, be. I think you made it in the book. Don't worry. Or else I'll be writing my own book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> the next time uh, we attempted it, and the first time we actually made it up there, my son Stephen, who's about twelve years old, uh, went up with us. It was just me, Ron, and Stephen, and. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it, it, this is a vigorous trip. I don't know if Ron told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so Ron rode the horses up, and me and Stephen uh, uh, climbed the whole way. And once we got in, we got in about the same time. Once we got into camp, we barely got the packs off of us. And we're sitting around, totally exhausted. And directly, I would say, 40 yards directly west of our camp as the sun was going down in that direction. Directly west of our camp, we hear uh, a very loud cowbell. And it just goes, but not like any cowbell. It just goes ding, ding, ding. Very loud. And we all... Kind of musical? Huh? Almost musical. It sounded musical. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I guess you could say that. But it sounded like a cowbell. And I goes, uh, we all set up. I look at Ron. And this is, remember, directly west as the sun was setting. And I was, Ron, what? Uh, excuse my language. What the fuck was that? He goes, oh, that was a cowbell. I said, Ron, that was no fucking cowbell. Right? He goes, I look at Steve and he says, did I saw He says, that was a weird cowbell. Right? Uh, this is... This is what made me later understand what Ron had gone through all his life, uh, uh, being ridiculed for the stuff that he was saying. Because he had become so callous that 
he was not he was not going to attribute anything to Sasquatch or anything unusual if uh, <laughs> if there was any possible other explanation. Right. And uh, yeah, and you're in the middle of nowhere right oh, now, right? Oh I mean, this God. isn't. There's not like there's no. people ringing cowbells anywhere near the camp. No freaking that's not way. Something that happens. <laughs> yeah, no. I said, run. That was not a. That's not a fucking cowbell. Yeah, like. I said, yo. He says, I said, you ever saw a fucking cow up here? He says, yo, yeah, we we saw a cow up here. Once I says, that was not a cow up here on the top of this fucking mountain. <laughs> <sighs> and and his cowbell goes ding ding ding. And just as we finished that conversation, uh, and Stevie was trying to not look scared, <laughs> you know, he's trying to be a big, big guy. You know, just as we finished that conversation, we hear the exact same sound directly to the east of the camp. Oh, weird. Yeah, about the same distance. We, we hear uh, ding, ding, ding. Exactly like a cowbell. Almost like a call and response sort of thing. Oh my god, it was, yeah, well, is it wrong? That was a fucking cowbell? I don't think so. I said, you're telling me that a cow ran from 40 yards that direction to 40 yards on the other side of our camp in about uh, a minute and a half and made the same exact sound without making any sound in between. A cow was running that fast without making a sound with a cowbell. Yeah, and we actually have this discussion up there at the, uh, you know, within the first five minutes of, you know, throwing our packs off at this Sierra camp. Did you end up hearing any vocalizations or anything while you were out there? Was it any footprints or anything we, like that? Ron heard one thing, and um, but we did get it on tape. And here's the problem, and... I hope Ron was able to talk to you about this stuff. Oh, otherwise, I'm going to sound be the, the one that sounds crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, whenever they were around, and again, you could feel them, okay? All of our recording equipment. And the first few times we went up there, Ron took his, you know, his video stuff. But every time... We knew that they were around, uh, and you would turn on one of those machines, it would immediately drain the battery. Hmm. The battery, you could actually watch the battery go down. Right. So, I mean, after the first two or three times going up there, Ron didn't take his, uh, his video stuff anymore, but we were taking, uh, you know, good zoom, you know, uh, voice activated stuff up there. If you talk to Ron again, uh, he will he will testify to this. That whenever whenever we could feel them around, we would turn that Zoom stuff on, and, and he and I both had the same you know equipment. We would turn that on, and you could watch the battery go. You know, boom. swear to God, you could watch it drain out. And then we'd be up there for uh, you know over a week, other times, and you just didn't feel anything was up there yeah maybe describe that you you've, you've and, mentioned and, and it twice those, where you can feel those, their presence what is that what is that experience like well what, first let me say that that when when you feel like nothing's up there mm -hmm. uh 
the batteries would last for days, five or six days. We had the best lithium batteries, you know, and so it's weirdly, when you could feel them, the batteries would drain immediately. And just give me what it feels like. Uh, that's that's impossible for me to describe. It's, um, God, you have to have me and Ron together talking about, hey, what did that feel like? <laughs> <laughs> was it a threatening feeling or was it a... No, no, no. I, no I, never, I never felt threatened. Not really. Not, I should say after the first time. The first time when, when the horses were tumbling down, you know, were tumbling down the mountain, you know, with Ron, I felt, I felt threatened that time, you know, but, uh, no, I never felt threatened when, when they were around, uh, but just weird, weird stuff happened, but nothing we could ever get on tape. It was almost like it was intentionally, you know, hey, that they knew they that weren't gonna go on tape. <laughs> yeah, I know that Ron 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 believes that there could be something almost like spiritual about these creatures, something that's beyond the flesh and blood that, you know, would explain some of these um, experiences that don't quite fit into our of expectation course. for a creature. Do you share do you believe that as well after having those experiences, or do you still think it's a flesh and blood animal that lives out in the woods i think that they have abilities that are way beyond us especially out in the woods i think i think the force you know is their machine you know people claim that oh they don't have culture they don't have technology i say bullshit Uh, the force is their machine and somehow they've they've learned to use it uh in my mind uh to protect themselves, you know, and the number one thing that protects them is elusiveness from us. So certainly they would learn our language or as much as they could, you know, to understand what, what we're talking about when we're out there, you know, carrying guns around and stuff. Yeah, that that's a that's a good point you bring. I mean, do, you, do you think that when you hear those recordings, do you hear any similarities to known human languages is there any comparison yes. oh, or any yes. words i have to i have to speak on that every time i present uh, my study uh, and that's that's basically uh, what we would call a uh, uh, cognitive or uh cognatic uh, expressions in the language okay what a cognate is is anything that is the same in, like in English, for instance, the same in French mm. or the same in German, okay? Something that is the same in our language that would be the same in theirs, okay? So I have had uh, <laughs> probably a couple dozen uh, different native linguists listen to the tapes with me, mm-hmm. and every single one of them whether it be Persian, Russian, <clears throat> Spanish, uh, Japanese. The first guy I played the tapes for was my, my colleague, Jeremy Suda, uh, speaking Japanese. And he recognized uh, weird uh, 
inflections. All right. But basically, every person that I've ever played any of these tapes for, no matter what their uh, linguistic persuasion, right, recognized cognatic expressions. Well, we have to. Do you know what pareidolia is? Yeah, I do. Yeah, pareidolia is. You know, it's 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 natural for all of us to recognize, you know, patterns in in uh, ordinarily random, you know, expressions or, you know, things in nature. So, we have to, uh, because every single person I've ever played them for, you know, recognizes something that I, I have to uh, attribute it, uh, you know, a, a bit of that to pareidolia. You, uh, so you mentioned, you mentioned that you feel pretty certain that the vocalizations couldn't be human. Um, you've talked on, like, why, why the, you think it may be language, but maybe could you go a little bit more into detail why you feel certain that it couldn't be made by a human? When I made that conclusion, I did not know. That. And remember, I made that conclusion almost immediately upon hearing the tapes, right? Or snippets of them. Um, I had no idea that years and years before they had already uh, been presented to a Dr. Curlin, and w which you must have uh, talked about with Ron. And he had already, uh, and, and he was not a language guy, he was a sound guy. And he had already come out and says, no, these cannot have been made by a, a human being. Well, when I come out and said, these are not made by a human being, that, that's not nothing scientific. That is entirely based on my, you know, my professional experience. And as far as, <laughs> as far as I still know, I know maybe probably two guys uh, that have listened to more human voice on tape than I. And that would be uh, one of my colleagues in the Navy and, and the guy who trained me, Ralph Blessing. Yeah, that, was, that, had, that had nothing scientific about it at all. When I decided, this is not a freaking human. <laughs> I mean, the tapes are so fascinating because it goes between sounding so animalistic and then moves so yeah. fluidly into what sounds like language. Within mm -hmm. like a split second, it just transitions. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, yep. it's never, you know, never heard anything like it. So it definitely catches you, <laughs> catches you off guard when you hear it. Um, have you ever heard anything like these tapes? Have you ever heard any other recordings that you think are comparable? You know, I've had, over the years now, I have uh, accepted submissions from, mm -hmm. you know, now uh, probably a couple hundred uh, people that had sent me different tapes that they wanted me to listen to. Right? And I would say, uh, Unfortunately, about half of those are all fake. Yeah, yeah. There are people trying to, or there are people trying to, uh, you know, test me out or, or, you know, or challenge me, as, you know. But I have to say, no, no, that's fake. <laughs> e either you are faking these or someone is faking you. <laughs> so, um, but in all of these submissions that I've received, I would say probably about three. That would be, and they were very quick, uh, and uh, and I only picked three because they are of the quality of the Barry Moorhead. The Barry Moorhead tapes are of such high quality. You can hear 
so clearly everything that's being said. Um, and so I th- I've probably hear- heard about three different recordings that were very quick, but uh, w- would come from uh, <laughs> something like uh, this Sierra being. You um you mentioned you knew you got to meet Al Berry as well. Um, yes. Can you kind of just describe Al Berry as a person and like what, how you you know what how he struck you as a journalist and, and his involvement in the story? To me, he was a genuine guy, and I think he just didn't want to admit. That I think it was. I almost think like he felt it was his duty to be a skeptic. Because, you know, he's a journalist and a scientist. And I, th- I think Ron felt like that, too, at first. When we first, when me and Ron first got together, I think Ron, like, again, every weird thing that happened up on that mountain and down below the mountain, you know, Ron was being very skeptical about it. And uh, I think that, again, came from 30-plus years of being ridiculed you know, here we got uh, you know pillars of the community a, a journalist and you know an entrepreneur and uh they're being horribly ridiculed all their lives you can see why they both wanted to be as, as skeptical as possible since since your involvement have you faced any of that on your on your side or has it been pretty have you not had to deal with as much as much blowback as they have? I, I've been a, a, in a uh, lucky position where, <laughs> where I taught for uh, you know twenty years after uh, retiring from the, uh, from the Navy, and uh, I could pretty much say whatever I wanted to, even though I, I worked at a military uh, you know college. Uh, you know, I never felt uh, constraints of anybody you know you know holding me back from telling the truth even when even when stuff i will tell you the truth uh for about the first five years that me and ron were together you know going to conferences and tell you know talking about this stuff okay we had an agreement that we were not going to talk about the weird stuff because also at the same time in the bigfoot community you know, there's a big, you know, anti. Oh, uh, <laughs> let's let's not get into the weird stuff. Yeah. Push. Yeah. Right. And so, for the first five years, but then it just accumulated, and it just it got uh, worse and worse. <laughs> where we finally just looked at each other and says, uh, "I think it was down in Hanobia," and we just looked at each other and said, "Look, we can't. Uh, we can't. You know." not talk about this stuff we cannot not talk about the weird stuff and that's when we really open up our minds up to <clears throat> to the fact that and ron will put it in the same way i am doing right now that there's way more going on than we have any clue yeah it's fascinating how i mean i i've read a lot of different bigfoot accounts and that i mean a lot of these stories do have elements to them that are not what you would expect in a flesh and blood encounter with a bear or something like that. It, there's always no. there's always these other aspects of the stories, and, and people are uncomfortable yeah. to tell them. 
Um, and oh, I think yeah. it's I think it's unfortunate because I mean it's almost it's almost you know some of these things in these stories they remind you of aspects of like what you would think of as like a poltergeist or a ghost story almost and yet it also <laughs> yeah. includes it also includes this thing that for all you know if you take that outside it seems like it could be a flesh and blood creature but um, I think it's unfortunate that people aren't willing to tell or at least listen to the stories that are. Um, not what they're expecting, because I don't think Bigfoot ever is something that you should expect. You need to be open-minded to everything you hear. So, so I know, I know Ron actually, actually, he also spent his time in the seventies. He found footprints in, in their area. Have you ever seen the plaster cast that he took or seen any footprints yourself while you were out there? Not up in, in the Sierras. I saw some locally here that I thought were footprints and I made casts of them, but because they were in a weird place at a weird time. But nothing that that could not, that would not go beyond, you know, human dimensions. No, up there, I never saw any, like, real uh, tracks. There were a lot, a lot of other weird uh, sightings, weird, almost apparitions, if you will, but not by me. So you've met you met Al Barry. Did you meet anyone else who was around during the time when these these recordings were taken? Because you know, yes, was, uh, yeah. Bill, Bill McDowell, mm-hmm. uh, good friend of Ron's, still to this day, I'm sure. Bill, it was he and uh, Ron who recorded the, uh, all of the uh, Moorhead tape, where Alan Barry was up there, you know, in 1972, and got what I re- refer to as the Barry tape. Then uh, Ron Moorhead and Bill McDowell went up uh, in 1974 and got the uh, Moorhead tape. Mm. And Bill, yeah, Bill, Bill McDowell was—I uh, would consider him a friend. Yeah, you know, I've been—I've seen him uh, two, three times and hung out with him and Ron. Is Bill? I, I heard that somebody may have more tapes that they just—they—they they haven't just gotten around to digitize. Is that Bill McDowell who may have more tapes that aren't? publicly available well well ron uh ron originally had more tapes than than we have now and they had they got burned up in a garage fire and his only idea is that the only other person that could have a copy of those ones that got burned up would be bill is there so the there's obviously you can listen to the recordings um online it does does do you know if ron have Uh, you heard more I, i think you can it, it's hard to listen. You can't listen to all of the recordings. Yeah, you can, that's what I'm you can listen to little snippets. Right. In fact, what what I originally heard it on was you know the BFRO. Uh, um, but they were, you know, they were uh, one and a half second snippets, or maybe three second snippets. But even with that, even at that, I could tell what I was hearing. Oh, uh, but as far as I know, there's nowhere online where you can listen to. Uh, the whole, all of the tapes. You can hear snippets. All of the tapes, we have over 90 minutes. We have over 90 minutes within, you know. It, so, <laughs> that's why it took me four months to transcribe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe talk a little bit about that transcription work you did. What what came out of the end of your transcriptions of these tapes? Like, what were you left with? Well, uh, of course, uh, the work is not done. And I don't think the work will ever be done. The bottom line of what we have with the transcripts is that it's a language. Do you think that this could one day become the Rosetta Stone for Bigfoot language? Of or course. whatever this, yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course, something has to. 
Yeah. Because, uh, otherwise, we'd have to you know sit down with them, and have tea, and, and you know just discuss exactly what did you mean by this by this morphine or this word, you know. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. I have to ask: Is have you ever heard an animal that you think that could? come close to repro- that's not a known animal that could come close to reproducing the sounds we hear on the tape uh yes I got asked this question um a few months ago on on another uh, interview and I realized the answer to, to that is yes there is another creature that can speak in this very close to this way right I- except for Except for the massive, uh, you know, lung volume, the resonance and the uh, frequencies above and below the ability of humans, uh, the only creature, only other creature on Earth that could speak anywhere near uh, this complex of a language is a human being. So yeah, that, yes, I have heard one other uh, creature that can do this. <laughs> From the the creature's tone and inflection, are you able to gather? Any information around what the gist of this conversation or this interaction may be? Assuming that their life is just like, you know, the average life of a human being, you know, and their family life, you know, it, it sounds like we've got a man and a woman arguing over food, you know, and a kid saying, yeah, I want some too, you know? Yeah, inflection-wise, <laughs> yeah, you can assume all kinds of things, you know? Because it really, they really do sound human. Yeah, I guess. So you mentioned so they do sound human, but you also mentioned that the deep resonance of the voice is something that is maybe oh, they're not, not. characteristic. Oh, I, can t- of human. I can tell you, yeah, it's been shown that they're not human, but they still sound like they want to be human, <laughs> or that they should be. You know. <laughs> what further work in this area? do you plan to do and is there do you have any continued plans to continue to research the tapes or to try and capture more sounds to analyze uh capturing more sounds of course is the holy grail and you know i continue to accept uh submissions from people that have captured what they think is language you know hopefully that'll pan out soon enough but we have to get the uh, of course we have to the uh, transcripts published, you know, and the, the whole 90 minutes of the tapes published so that, you know, people can hear this, hear it all for themselves. When do you think that, like, when do you think the transcripts will be available in, in the full tapes? Oh, a couple of years. Again, you know, we're still, we're still holding out for, you know, some miracle that, that will corroborate everything. What do you think is the hesitance to put out the, the full recordings? Is it just without corroborating evidence that by itself it's it doesn't stand? Well, there is no hesitance. Well, the hesitance would be on my part. Because I don't, you know, like early on, I mean, we were offered spots on what Monster Quest and what Finding Bigfoot. And we, we never accepted any of those. Because we knew, you know, we would we'd be highlighted for, you know, 10 minutes and then dismissed and you know we're not going to be doing that until till we're ready 
Is there anything around the tapes that, I mean, you'd anything that we haven't touched on that you'd be interested in sharing around anything you've discovered while listening to them or um, something that a, a listener may not pick out to, with the untrained ear? There are a lot of little uh, spots on the tapes where you can really kind of get a feel almost for the personality for them. Okay, like there, There's one spot where... <laughs> It sounds like the big male. And by the way, there's actually areas on the different parts of the tapes where we think they're referring to each other by name. But in in the first part, uh, the big male almost seems to be telling a joke about the humans. And you can almost imagine him saying, oh, look at these little uh, hairless apes. You know, a goofy. We could kill them in a, in a moment if we wanted to. Ha ha! And then he almost and it, it sounds like he actually laughs at his own joke. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of the characteristics of language. You know, the expression of emotion. You know that that all goes into you know the overall analysis of it. But uh, and and then there's parts where. It's obvious that, to me anyway, where the big female uh, is screaming at the guy, at the male, over something, and then he, he yells back at her. And I swear to God, it, sound, it would sound like you and me, to all the audiences that listen to my presentations, right? It, it sounds like, say to them, like uh, two old, an old married couple. It really does. You um you said you think you think you could even identify that they may ha- you may hear names in there. Have you have you been able to isolate what those are? Like what and or how do you know that? Is it because they're repeated? Uh, <clears throat> it, it's the it's the, the way it's presented in um in instructive uh language. And I can tell you what one of them is that the female uh, might be uh. There's no way you would ever prove this unless you sat down and said, hey, what is your name? Right, you know. But it sounds like at one point, the big male calls her Prosgut, whatever the hell that would mean. Almost German. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Let us know if you think Sasquatch could have a language on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Torara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Torara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.